Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. The question that I had to continually ask myself last Sunday and even throughout this week is, who's the main character in my story? Who's the main character in my story? And, and as Pastor Brandon punched us all in the gut, or for you super spiritual, you go, hey, he just challenged us. No, it was a punch in the gut is what last Sunday was. But I guess the thing that I just can't get off my mind is how he closed last Sunday with James chapter three, verse 13. When he went back to the original language and, and I was asking him for his advice on how to pronounce this word, and he said, don't copy me, so we'll just both butcher it. And it was that word, kalos, K-A-L-O-S, I believe is the spelling. But it's where we get our word calligraphy. And if you know anything about it, it's such a beautiful handwriting, if you would, that, that is just delicate and precise. And, and what we were told last week is, in regards to that word, our life should reflect the beauty and even the gentleness of God. And so the question we had to ask was, who's the main story in my, who's the main character in my story? And so as we look at James chapter four this week, we're gonna continue in the vein of evaluation. So I will go ahead and say I'm sorry up front. Not really, but I will. But we're gonna have to leave here today asking ourselves another question. And the question that we'll leave here today evaluating ourselves with is this question, who are you close to? Who are you close to? And we're gonna pick up right where we left off last week with a very hard truth or several hard truths. But if I can do anything, it would be to beg you to hang on to the end, because after the hard truth, what you're gonna hear is a passionate and perfect promise that is for every person in the room. You're gonna hear the hard truth, but if you'll just hold on to the end, you're gonna hear this passionate, perfect promise that's available to every person in the room. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of James, chapter four. And if this is your first time with us, my name is Pastor Brian. God gives me the honor to, to shepherd this flock and to be a part of what he's doing here. Um, but what we often do is we'll just take a book of the Bible and we'll walk through it. And so we've made it thus far to James chapter four, which is where we're gonna pick up today. And while you're turning there, just a quick reminder of the context is that James is writing to believers who have been dispersed, who have been persecuted as a result of their faith, and he's writing this letter to believers or for those who claim to be believers, and he's writing to them out of a place of concern. And the place of concern that he's coming from is the reality is that their life is not necessarily exemplifying what they're talking about. 
They're saying one thing, but they're living something totally different. I heard someone this week reference this in the context of how many of you watch TV? We all do. In this world of streaming, you know, if the internet's not any good, your stream is affected. And how often do we look at it and the AV, the the audio, doesn't line up with the video? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Their lips will move, and then a few seconds later, here comes the words. And for me, it's miserable. It drives me absolutely nuts when the AV doesn't line up with the video, when the audio and video aren't together. It's just an absolute train wreck. And so that's essentially what James is saying. It's hard to watch when the things don't align, when the audio and the video don't match up. And when I watch it, when the audio and video don't match up, I become very frustrated. And honestly, sometimes it just takes me to a place where I'll just quit watching it. If I can't get it fixed, I'm not gonna watch it anymore. And so all of the book of James essentially is to align the audio and the video. It's to simply break it down to where what we're talking about is what we're living out. And so you're gonna hear today in these 10 verses that we're gonna look at in James chapter four, you're gonna hear three very clear points. It's one thing I like about James. He's pretty easy to understand. And maybe it's just because he's so just in your face, all right? But the three things that we're gonna take away from today is James is gonna identify a problem. He's gonna discuss the source of the problem. But then praise be unto God, he's gonna give us the resolve at the end. So you're gonna hear the problem, you're gonna hear the source, but you're also gonna hear the resolve. And so I want us to begin today in the first three verses where James is going to mention and identify the problem. James chapter four, verse one. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Some of your Bibles probably see disagreements, probably says quarrels, whatever it may be. Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. Verse three, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Very quickly, James talks about the problem. Very quickly, James identifies the problem, and the problem is is that believers are arguing and disagreeing within the church. It's happening among believers. Keep that in mind, this entire context of this. All of these arguments, all of these disagreements, and I know James uses some strong language as war, but that's essentially what he's talking about. So we see that even going back into the book of James, that there's always been disagreeing and conflict within a body of believers. Now, I don't know about you, but the fleshly side of me, that's a little bit comforting. Because keep in mind, this book was not written last week. It was not written the week before last. It was not written even a couple of years ago. This book was written thousands of years ago, and James is already addressing the disagreements and the quarrels and the arguments that's taking place among believers. And so what we can leave with that knowing is that there's always been disagreements among believers. There's always been disagreement among believers. And as long as human beings are involved in the church, guess what's going to continue to happen? There's gonna be disagreements. 
because we're human beings, we're fleshly people. Paul had to address this topic in the church of Ephesus. He had to address this topic in the church at Corinth. He had to address this topic in Galatia. He had to address this topic over and over and over again. And what we can take from that is I want you to know this, and we often say it, and you've heard it said, and other people besides me, is that there is no perfect church. Do you know why there is no perfect church? Because it's made up of imperfect people. It's that simple. It's that simple. So I will go ahead and tell you up front, if this is your first time today and you're looking for the perfect church, sorry to disappoint, because it's not happening here, because I'm leading. <laughs> yeah. Y'all should, I'm surprised my wife didn't amen me again the way she normally does. But what we see here is that James is gonna go on to explain the problem from a perspective of, of what's imperfect about the people that make it up. And he uses two words. He says the very thing that causes the church to be imperfect is because of the people that are in it are led by their passions and their desires. They're led by their passion and their desires. And so one thing that we've got to understand before we go any further today is that as a child of God, even the believers that are being written to in the book of James, they have a born-again spirit because of a relationship with an almighty God. Their spirit has been born again. However, even in the possession of the Holy Spirit, that as a child of God, that is what we possess. However, the very thing that possesses the Holy Spirit is a fleshly body that has passions and has desires. And so I want us to understand that. I want you to realize that even though we have a redeemed spirit within us, our flesh is still active and our flesh is still able to lead us. Our flesh still wants to control and still wants to dominate. That's just the hard truth, that it still wants to be in control. This is exactly what Paul writes about in Galatians chapter five. Don't turn there. I'm just gonna read it for the sake of time. It'll be on the screen. But in Galatians chapter five, verse 16 through 18, Paul says, I say then, walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And so the point that James is making, even in context of what Paul has just stated, is that all of the arguing that is going on around and in the life of a believer is a result of what's taking place on the inside of a believer. So everything that's going on around them is a result of what's happening on the inside of them. The war that's created around us is created by the war that's within us. And that war as a human being, guess what it is? We're all selfish people. Our flesh is always gonna be selfish because that's how we're hardwired. 
And what James is challenging the believers to do, he's saying, hey, look, guys, the reason that all the argument and the bickering is happening is because you're too focused on what you want and you're not focused enough on what he wants. You're more consumed with building your own kingdom than you are his kingdom. Now keep in mind, he's addressing believers within a church that they're more concerned about their kingdom than they are the kingdom of God. And here's a side note. You know that oftentimes when people leave a church, it's not because heresy is being taught. Do you know oftentimes when people leave a church, it's not because God's even directed them to leave the church. At the end of the day, there's oftentimes when people leave a church, you know why they leave? Because they ain't getting what they want. Because the church isn't doing the things that they want them to do. The music's too loud. It's the wrong type of music. I don't like that preacher. It's too cold in the room. It's too hot in the room. And I know we laugh, but y'all don't understand. I've sat in meetings where people have left a church before because they voted against cutting a tree down in the parking lot. What's that got to do with the kingdom of God? Absolutely nothing. But the reality is, is that's what's happening in this life of these believers is they're too focused on things wanting to be the way they want them rather than the way God wants them. And I honestly don't believe God really cares about a tree in a parking lot. I think it's just used as distraction. But James is telling them, he's saying, look, stop fighting. Stop fighting about your desires. And then he goes on to challenge him and he says, what would it look like? Now, obviously I'm paraphrasing. What would it look like if you stopped fighting about what you wanted and you just prayed about it? What would it look like if you would just stop fighting and you just prayed? Instead of campaigning and complaining, just pray. Because y'all do know that inside the church, the campaigning takes place. If you don't like something, you like to get as many people on your side as you can. But what would it look like if we didn't campaign or complain and we just prayed? And look, I'll go ahead and tell you now. Myself and our leadership here at Chestnut Mountain Church, we're never going to make every decision the way you want it to be made. I look at Chase and Katie. The reality is, is yes, our flesh, there's many of you that are, don't wanna see them leave. How can they send them out? Do they not know what God's doing in our student ministry? Do they not know what's happening there? And you may be upset because they are leaving. You may be angry. And all I can tell you with all the love that's in me, get over it. Because we as leadership are doing what God has called us to do and being open-handed with who is rightfully his anyway. And so we're not always gonna make the decisions that you may agree with. But one thing I will promise you that every decision will be made 
from a posture of humility and being on our face and crying out to God, because I'm not smart enough to make all the right decisions. Our staff's not smart enough to make all the right decisions. Amen. However, I want you to also know that when you pray about something, there again, it doesn't mean that it's always gonna turn out the way you want it. It's not always gonna turn out the way you want it. But you know what oftentimes happens in prayer and it's exactly what James talks about. That if we are truly humble before God, praying and seeking God, the Holy Spirit will oftentimes reveal what our motives truly are. He'll reveal to us why we're praying what we're praying. And is what we're praying, is it for the betterment of us or is it for the betterment of the kingdom? And are we willing to say, God, here's what I want, here's what I desire, but God, I'm gonna trust your plan more than mine. I'm gonna trust your plan more than mine. So the problem that James has already addressed is that even though our spirit is born again, there's still gonna be passion and desires that are driven by our flesh. So now we have to ask ourselves the question, why? If the problem is our passion and desires that are driven by our flesh, why are we so driven by our passion and our desires? And now we will see the source. James gonna, is addressing the source of where this comes from. Look at verses four through six. He starts out with some pretty strong language. You adulterous people. He's talking to believers. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, look, I know there's a lot in that verse. But for me, I have to simplify things. And so I will share with you what my cliff note version of these three verses are. The cliff note version to me of what I feel like God spoke to me in my heart as I read this is what James is wanting to communicate to the believers and those that profess to be believers. He's telling them, you are allowing the world to entice the desires and, the pla and passions of your flesh rather than submitting to the Holy Spirit that has the power to conquer your flesh. Let me read that one more time. You are allowing the world to entice the desires and the passions of your flesh rather than submitting to the Holy Spirit that has the power to conquer your flesh. And for some of us, you're going, well, that's still, I still don't truly understand that. I don't wanna make it even more simpler. And this would be the version that I would have to read. You ready for this one? Here's just a blanket statement of what James is saying. He's simply saying, you're too close to the world and you're not close enough to Jesus. The source of all the issues that are going on is because you, even as a follower of Christ, you're too close to the world and you're not close enough to Jesus. 
And that's the source of the problem. That's the source of the issue. Because what you are closest to influences you the most. What you are closest to influences you the most. And here's the danger. The world as we know it, the world teaches selfishness and Jesus teaches selflessness. The world teaches selfishness, but our Savior teaches selflessness. So who are you closest to? Because whoever you're closest to is who influences you the most. Now, I love when God simplifies things for me. I had something happen to me over the last couple of weeks that absolutely blew my mind, but it, it paints such a perfect picture of the statement that we just made, that whoever you're closest to influences you the most. I was at a restaurant here in town, and I saw somebody that I've not seen probably, honestly, in 10 years, have not spoken to them, have had no contact with them, and then all of a sudden, I spoke to them, never said their name. I just spoke, said, hey, how are you? It's so good to see you, and then left. It was literally about an eight-second conversation. So fast forward about one hour, and I was sitting in a parking lot waiting on a meeting to start, and I just did everything that we all do, and I opened Facebook. And the first post was from this individual that I just ran into. Now keep in mind, I've not seen a post from this individual in a very, very, very long time. So I found it kind of strange, and I was trying to be super spiritual, and I was like, maybe that means I'm supposed to pray for that person. God, I get it. Well, then I just scrolled on down, and there's another post from that individual. Scrolled on down, there's another post, and I'm going, what in the world? And it really, really threw me for a loop. So I get home and I tell my wife, I said, Chelsea, the weirdest thing happened. I saw this person in a restaurant in town and now that's all I'm seeing on my phone is their feed and their post. And this is how oblivious I am to this world of technology. My wife looked at me and she goes, well, you big dummy. You got too close to them in line. I said, huh? She said, your phone communicated with their phone. And now all of a sudden, my closeness to my relationship with somebody else influenced every bit of my feed on my phone. And it was a direct reflection of who I had been around. And God said, that's exactly what James is teaching. Whoever you're closest to influences you the most. And James is challenging the church, you're too close to the world. And James emphasizes the importance of a child of God to be in close proximity with the one who saved him. This is why Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I die to myself daily. Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying, I'm gonna die to myself today because I'm gonna choose Choose to be closer to Jesus than I am the world. I'm gonna wake up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and I'm gonna make the statement, and I'm gonna say today, I'm gonna choose to be closer to Christ than I am this world. And that's constantly what Paul talks about all throughout his letters, that he constantly had to die to himself daily. And are you, as a follower of Christ, choosing 
to be closer to Jesus or closer to the world? Because if you're not choosing to be close to Jesus, you just read in this passage that it said it creates hostility between you and God. It creates hostility between you and the one who saved you. And then James uses some strong language and he calls them an adulterous people. You adulterous people. Now, when we hear that word adulterous, because of our culture, because of our society, we immediately think of an unfaithful marriage, someone who's been unfaithful in their marriage. And so all throughout the scripture, this metaphor is used over and over and over to display the unfaithfulness to God. We hear it all the time in scripture is that they were being unfaithful to God, so therefore they're considered an adulterous people. Now understand, at salvation, the moment we repented and we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we're ultimately making a commitment to follow Jesus. We're stepping into a covenant relationship with him and we're committing ourselves to go as he goes, to say as he says, to lead wherever he leads us. However, even though we've committed to follow Christ, we all have passion and desire still within our flesh. So even as a follower of Christ, we're gonna have these days and these moments of weakness where we give into our flesh. We're gonna fall into sin, therefore committing spiritual adultery. And it's as if, for lack of better terms, we're cheating on God. Because we've committed to follow him, but in the moment of our weakness, we commit to let the world fuel our passion and desires. We've cheated on God and therefore we, 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 listen to me, we have fallen short of our commitment to him. But if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. This is the greatest news for the child of God, for any of those who are far from God today, listen to me, the greatest news, even when we fall short in our commitment to him, he will never fall short in his commitment to us. I don't think you heard what I just said, that even when we fall short in our commitment to following Christ, Christ will never fall short in his commitment to us. And that is the greatest news. That is the freedom and the grace that doesn't even make sense. And I love the imagery where that thought is just made so clear. We're not gonna go there for the sake of time, but in the Old Testament, when you look in the book of Hosea, you, many of you may be familiar with the story of Hosea and Gomer. Hosea was a prophet of God who God gave him a command to go and marry a lady by the name of Gomer, who the public knew was a prostitute. And you just gotta love up front. He was told, you're gonna go marry her, but she will cheat on you. She will not be faithful. 
And she's gonna continue to do it over and over. She will continually break her covenant and her commitment to you. But Hosea, you can't ever break your commitment to her. And you read the story, and she did over and over and over again. And if you read in Hosea chapter two, you can read between the lines if you would. And the, and the scripture goes on to say she had, she had done it so much. She had been around so much. And I'll let you imagination that she was undesirable to all men. Nobody wanted her anymore. Nobody desired her because she was so close to the world for lack of better terms. But because of what God had commanded Hosea to do, he went and he bought her back. He went and he bought her back even when she wasn't faithful to him. He was always faithful to her. There's a story that I heard this past week and it paints the picture of this, this, this covenant relationship that God has with his people the desires that a father has with his children. That even though we're uncommitted to him, he will stay committed to us. Matt Chandler uses this, this analogy of, of, of this young adult conference, I, I would think it was, and I'll probably get some of this out of context, but this, you'll understand the story in just a minute. But the pastor gets up and he's, he's basically gonna preach on the beauty of sex and the gift that it is from God. And he pulls out a rose and he talks about the beauty of this rose and he, he, he smells the rose and he feels the texture of the rose and he's, he's talking about this gift that God has given us as human beings. And then he all of a sudden, he takes this rose and he says, I want everybody to see this rose. I want everybody to feel this rose and he throws it out into the congregation and there's some a thousand young adults and he says, I want everybody in the room to, to feel it. I want everybody in the room to smell it. I want everybody in the room to experience this rose because it's beautiful. And so then he goes on and continues into the story, into the sermon, into the message of the gift of sex and the marriage. And then all of a sudden, he gets towards the end, and his big driving point is he calls back. He says, where's my rose at? And so a young man brings the rose up on stage, and, and he takes this rose, and now the rose looks a little bit different than it did when it went out. The petals have fallen off. The stem is broken. The leaves have fallen off, and it looks like it's just mangled and a mess and his big point was, now, who wants this rose? And Matt Chandler, he said, with everything in him, he was so angry because he said he wanted to stand up in his chair and say, Jesus wants the rose. It doesn't matter how close you've gotten to the world. Aren't you thankful that there's nothing you can do that the Father never doesn't want us? He never doesn't want us. And that's a love that we don't even understand. So the takeaway from that, the takeaway from what James is teaching these believers is no matter how close you are to the world, God never doesn't want you. God never doesn't want you. So just like the rose, 
just like Gomer, we are all, we're all gonna get too close to the world at times. We're all gonna get too close to the world. And we're warned of what happens when we get too close to the world. It creates problems. And in this context, it's created problems within believers. And we're letting the world fuel our passion and desires of selfishness. Think about our marriages. Think about our homes. You know why there's arguing and disagreeing in your home? It's because you're too close to the world and not close enough to Jesus. Because we're selfish. So when all of this takes place, we see that it causes problems. You've heard today what the source of the problem is. And so the big question is this. What's the resolve? How do we fix this? James chapter four, verses seven through 10. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What you've heard in verses seven through 10 You've simply heard a picture of, or seen a picture of repentance. That's all James is saying. He's saying it doesn't matter how close you are to the world. If you will humble yourselves before the Lord, he will exalt you. And the question that I would have to ask all of us this morning is what are you close to? Even as a child of God today, what are you close to? Are you close to the world or are you close to him? And there's no doubt in my mind, probably for the majority of the room, we can evaluate ourselves and we can ask ourselves this question and if we're real honest, we would say, man, I'm just way too close to the world right now. But praise God for the gospel that according to what the word says, if you will humble yourself and just come to fall under the blanket of grace today and say, God, I'm sorry that I'm too close to the world. God, I'm sorry that I'm too close to the world. And the promise that is from scripture is that if we will humble ourselves before the Lord, just like Hosea stayed true to Gomer, you've got to realize that God will always stay true to you.
So this morning, I don't know what you've fallen into. I don't know how close you are to the world. And maybe today you're here and you say, well, Brian, I'm not even in a relationship with God and I'm all entangled in this world. I'm living the world. I'm I'm letting the world influence every aspect of my life. And because of that, I don't believe there's a God who will love me. Humble yourself before the Lord. Turn to the Lord and watch what he does. And even as a child of God, as a Christian, those who profess that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're real honest today and you evaluate where you are in your walk with him, you can honestly before God say, "Ah, I'm way too close to the world right now. What I want you to do whether you're lost today and apart from God or whether you've, you're in a relationship but you're too close to the things of the world, I want you to leave here today being reminded of the promise in verse eight. And it is the simplest statement that I think we can all leave here with today. You draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And the beauty of that verse is it's not circumstantial. If you draw near to God and you promise to kick this habit, if you draw near to God and you promise to stop doing this and you promise to start doing that, then he will draw near to you. No, the Bible says you draw near to him right where you're at in your current condition and he will draw near to you. You can't change it, but you let the Holy Spirit of God infiltrate your life and flood your life and you just watch him do the work that you can't do. That's the beauty of a relationship with God. He changes our hardwiring. He changes our desires. And so I wonder this morning, we're about to sing one of my most favorite songs just about being in the presence of God. The more I seek you, the more I find you. Are you actively seeking him today? we get ready to to sing this song I I want this to be an examination for you in your heart who am I close to who am I close to am I closer to the world or am I closer to my savior and if your answer is I'm too close to the world come and fall on your face in an altar and say God I need your help today God, I need your help because I can't overcome the passion and the desires of my flesh. And God, I'm gonna submit to your hand. Who are you close to? And be thankful for the promise that if you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. 
We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.